This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. What we're about to embark on today as far as a message is somewhat risky. Uh... I know that none of you have taken peeks at the notes, uh, so as a result, all of this will be a surprise. But uh, we're going to talk about a, a topic that is a delicate one to know how to ever introduce to the body of Christ, because there are certain situations when laughter is very appropriate, and there's other situations where it is simply not. And to actually have a message like this is some can actually be uncouth and inappropriate at times, and that's why it's hard to ever address it. And the fact that I'm doing it today, I'm not exactly sure what I'm getting myself into. So uh, you get to come along on the journey with me. But uh, long and short, this is a very Eric Ludy-esque message. And those of you that know me love know the fact that I love to laugh. What's odd about this is... Being ticklish is not necessarily my favorite thing. So I love to tickle, but I'm not necessarily one that likes to always be tickled. Now, I'm not saying I'm against it. If you came up and tried to tickle me, I wouldn't hit you or anything. I try and avoid being tickled, but I love to dish it out, okay? And so part of this message, this this is probably going to be very different than what you're guessing it's going to be. The subtitle could make some of you uncomfortable, too. A study in the power of holy laughter... There was a movement that came through the church called the Laughing Revival. Oh, I mean, we're closing in on two decades ago now, and I'm sure it still is out there. But uh, that's not what I'm talking about here. You see, that was a form of laughter that was very natural in a lot of its orientation, and it wasn't after repentance, it was before repentance. You see, true laughter in the kingdom sense comes after repentance of sin, the freedom of soul and the joy that is supernatural that is infused into the heart and body of a believer. And laughter is a natural or supernatural result of being changed by the life of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go into that, even though this is somewhat of a risky message, I feel like it is... uh, it's worthy of a risk. I mean, that's part of what being a pastor is all about. If you do the predictable, it's not very fun. But if you do that, which is unpredictable, it keeps you on your toes too. I mean, I, I, I'm actually somewhat nervous about this message. And I've, I've given some doozies that are very hard to give. This is like, should be easy. I should be laughing the whole time. But for whatever reason, it's even my title, I just sort of set myself up for awkwardness. The word tickle doesn't belong in the church. You ever thought about that? If there's certain words that just are not very churchy, tickle is one of them. Okay, so I'm like sticking it in my, and then ticklish is even worse because you have the ish on the end. Makes it even more squishy. (laughs) So this is C.S. Lewis in uh, The Horse and His Boy. This is King Loon speaking. For this is what it means to be a king, to be first in every desperate attack and last in every desperate retreat. 
And when there's hunger in the land, as must be now and then in bad years, to wear finer clothes and to laugh louder over a scantier meal than any man in your land. There's something pretty special in that quote. In, when times get hard, the true men laugh louder. You see, we have a different perspective. We understand the responsibility that we carry, and we realize that the solution is not found in our own strength. It's found in heaven. So the more ridiculous the circumstances, the louder the laugh. I don't know how many of you have ever, have ever gone through circumstances where one thing hits, and then another thing hits, and then another thing hits, and you're starting to break down under it. I mean, you're starting to you know, give way to anxiety and fear, and then you stop, and you realize, this is so utterly ridiculous that I might as well laugh. You, know, you should have come to that conclusion a long time uh, earlier. You see, that's what Christianity is. It is knowing how to exert the laugh of heaven in this earth. It is actually called faith. But most of us wouldn't translate directly laughter and faith straight across the board. It's a form of faith. The art of tickling, as employed by Eric Ludi. I, I don't tickle girls as a, as a rule of thumb. Okay, as a code of honor, I don't just come up to everyone on campus and start tickling them. However, there are plenty of guys in here that know if they're ever carrying something across campus, I have a famous question that I usually ask. Were you needing me to tickle you? And almost every time they say no. Every now and then I'll have one guy goes, yes, please, could you get me right there? And so I do. <laughs> And I usually make a noise when I tickle, too. And it's, some people have tried to make the noise, too, but it's... <laughs> and so that shocks people, and it adds an extra humor value to the tickle. Uh, but I love to tickle my kids. In fact, my kids even beg for tickles. Because daddy tickles are very, very special. They're a form of affection. For me, I know it sounds strange, but for me to tickle you is a sign of affection. It is, I don't know where it comes from, and I could dedicate this message from the very beginning to my parents uh, who are here, because I, I'm, this is very uh, this is a common trait in our family. So I'm thinking it might come from them. So if you're ever wanting to blame me for this weird attribute, you might want to talk to them. <laughs> but for me, it's actually a way of bringing in life to an otherwise dull situation. Life on this earth is hard. Some of you have discovered that somewhere along the line that life in its natural native state is actually wild. It is difficult. It poses challenges that threaten sanity and threaten any type of happy mood. And so there needs to be equipment to know how to rightly address this world in which we live and its many challenges that we face. And so one of my simple ways of giving to a world around me that is in the same hostile territory that I am is big smiles, waves, hellos, remember names. It's very important. That's a way of showing courage and give life to other people is that they are known on this earth. Dogs wag their tail. We as humans have other tools. But have you ever noticed that when a dog is wagging his tail at you, you feel loved? You feel important? Well, as humans, God has given us a tail to wag, and that's a smile. That is a cheer and a joy when someone comes into the room and we see them, and we light up. And that is a gift of grace that we give to each other 
on this earth in this dark territory. I employ something additional. It's a tickle. Okay, you may not do that, and I'm not actually asking all of us to become ticklers. This is, a, this is maybe just a loody thing. However, I want it to sort of be understood in its context of what this is all about. Holy laughter. I'm going to, because there's a difference between earthly laughter and heavenly laughter. I happen to call it holy laughter because it, that means it's other than. It's other than the world. The world finds laughter, and they, they, it's called raucous laughter. It is earthy. It is oftentimes debased. It, it, to use the word crude would be accurate. It usually is based on everything disgusting, and the more disgusting it is, the more hilarious it is. And that link of humor, which is a wonderful song, mixed with earthly debasedness, takes what humor was intended to be and perverts it. But most of us only understand an earthly humor, and as a result, when we transition to the kingdom of heaven, we're not exactly sure how to laugh anymore. Because what we laughed at was not necessarily healthy for our soul. But humor was not invented by this earth. It was God's thing. And it was deranged, just like sexuality was, just like appetite was. These things were created by God, but were taken hostage by the flesh and sinful creatures. Whereas humor and laughter is actually God's business, primarily. And so holy laughter is the original version of it. It's returning to the way God intended it to be without the pollution of this earth marring it. And so that's what I mean by holy laughter. And what I'm going to call it is the song of heaven. Now, I'm, there's a lot of songs in heaven, but it's one of them. And it's a beautiful one. And when it comes out of us, when it's the holy version, I have a hunch it causes angels that are nearby to join in. I have a hunch that if God is witnessing, which of course he is, that he has a tendency to join in as well. Isn't it funny? Laughter is contagious by its very nature. And so when you have earthly laughter, it is contagious. And that's why it's dangerous. But when it's heavenly laughter, it's also contagious. That's why I would like us to catch this contagion. As a church, I would like us to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth and I don't just mean laugh because life is easy or laugh because life is good. Life could be absolutely difficult, impossible. The, the, the odds stacked against us may be absolutely insurmountable. And yet we have been given everything we need to overcome. And so our initial response at any impossibility is to laugh. Tickling. So one way of looking at tickling today, because remember, I mean, this is being ticklish is the name of the message, is injecting the song of holy laughter into someone's life so that they can sing it, even if it's but for a moment. So imagine that I have a song inside of me. How do I get it inside of you? It's the tickle. I inject it into this one sweet spot right here in the side, and I go in, and it's amazing. But even if it's just for a moment, out comes a little song out of your mouth. I've shared a song with you. Have you ever had it where someone's walking around singing a song and then the next thing you know you're singing the same song? That's the idea. The hole in the prison wall. Someone is stuck in a prison and they haven't seen the light of day for a long time, but there's this little hole. And so you get a little note and you write it and say, 
you know, cheer up. God is still on the throne. And you stick it through that with that same finger. Look at that. Look at that. And you poke it through into the prison so that they can read it and be cheered in the midst of this dark prison. In a sense, that is the way I look at tickling. So symbolically here, I'm not asking you to tickle. In fact, it probably would be very awkward after church today. But I do want you to begin to catch the idea of we receive something known as the life of Jesus Christ. We receive the joy, the jubilance of the kingdom of heaven. The good news has changed us. And we have the ability to poke that note into other people's darkness so that they too can see it. Being ticklish. See, tickling and being ticklish are two different concepts. This is the one where I recognize there is always need for improvement. I'm a very good tickler, but I sometimes need some help when it comes to being ticklish. The reason this message sort of came out, I can just sort of see how God crafts my weeks to to bring things to the surface. But I found myself uh, with some acute strains this week. And I would say that I usually carry the weight that I have in in my life fairly well. And that's one of the things that God has built me for is to carry a lot of weight and very heavy stuff with a song even. But for some reason, the way I described it to Leslie is nothing is funny right now. And, you know, my kids do cute things all the time and I think it's hilarious, but nothing was hilarious. And, you know, it's like the classic, the kid comes up with that cute drawing and, you know, they go, daddy, daddy, look at the drawing. Hey, didn't I tell you to go brush your teeth. In other words, you miss the beauty of life and you find the flaw. In that situation, whenever you begin to find yourself losing sight of the beauty, losing sight of that which would stir your affections, losing sight from that which would cause you to sing a song, and you only see what's wrong, you're not being ticklish. You see, you've lost your sensitivity to that song. You see, there's something that we've been given in the kingdom of heaven, and that's a new sensitivity. It's like a portal into us where God can actually begin to stick in that song into our life. And yet, when we allow the weights of this earth, when we allow the anxieties of this earth, when we allow the fears, when we allow the oppressions, when we allow the fact that we have a low bank account, or we allow the fact that someone spoke a harsh word to us, or was disrespectful to us, or didn't appreciate us, to creep into our life, then what immediately happens is it closes off that channel. And we lose our ticklishness. We lose the ability for that song to enter in, and we find that life will begin to sour very quickly. And when life sours to you, do you know that you have no tickling that you can give? You see, you can't give the song to someone else when you've stopped singing it. The only way to pass along a song, and the only way that... This laughter is going to be contagious as if you keep that channel open. Being ticklish, receiving the song of holy laughter from a loved one as if it were, in fact, a gift of grace and truth. The damper pedal of the devil, that which quells the song. So if any of you play the piano, you know what a damper pedal is. A damper pedal always sort of muffles. It it takes away the, the vibrancy and the bigness of the sound. And the enemy functions in the exact same way. You see, the devil wants to quell the singing. He does not like it when the disciples of Jesus Christ end up in a prison cell and then break out in song. That is not the way he likes it. 
You see, there is something so utterly powerful about a song in the night, about a song in a dark place. There is something that changes the world when that happens, and the enemy doesn't want it. So the enemy wants you to focus on the dark place. He doesn't want you singing the song. He wants you complaining, he wants you grumbling, and he wants to put a damper pedal on that song. Because if that song is still in you, that song is going to get into others. And he wants to quell that song. So in the Bible, there is a word. Now, if you look at this word, you're going to, you almost even want to laugh when you see the word. It's hilaros. It means cheerful, joyous, prompt and instant in doing something, merrily setting out to do hard things. And this is actually a Greek word, and I'm guessing that probably you could extend this out to the English word that we use, which, yes, comes straight from this word, halaros. God loves a halaros giver, is the way it is said in Scripture. God loves someone who gives with cheer. Someone who gives, even in difficulty, they give. Now, do you remember this? Remember when I, what I was talking about this is? This is the giving device that Eric has used to implant a song inside of those that I love, right? Not everyone appreciates it, by the way. I don't know why. Some people, like, they dodge me when when they see me coming near. And yet, it is an affectionate love gift to say, I want to give you something. And so, you can look at Eric as a hilaros giver of tickles, okay? It is a cheerful giving of that which God has given me. Now, the context that Paul is using in Corinthians is not necessarily tickling. Okay, just in case you were wondering, it's like, wow, I never saw that before. (laughs) That was talking about our finger poking into someone's sweet spot. That isn't what it was talking about. And yet the concept is the same as far as spiritually speaking. You have been given something. Give it. If you have received abundantly, give abundantly. Those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. So if you've been given something, make sure you don't cut it off. You keep passing it on. We have been given a song. One of the things that the gifts of grace have given us, that cross has given us a song in the night. In the midst of a dark world, we have something. Don't let the enemy snuff out that song. Don't let anything in your life put a damper pedal on that precious song. And when you've been given that song, give it with halaros. Give it. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a halaros giver. Yeah, here's the word, hilarious. Doesn't hilarious just seem like one of those words? Just saying it makes you chuckle. You can't even say it with a straight face. Here, let's try it. Hilarious. See? You can't do it. Exceedingly amusing. Very funny. That's the word that we derive out of hilaros. It is something that is not just amusing, but it's exceedingly amusing. We have to put an adverb with it. It's exceedingly amusing. It's very funny. It's not just funny. It's very funny. And that is hilarious. And so God loves, I know, just to prepare you, a hilarious giver. Someone who doesn't just give the predictable. It's like, well, here's the part that I've set aside for God. And I'm willing to give this. And God, it's a big sacrifice, but here you go. He's like, no, that's not what I really delight in. I delight in someone that says, God, you gave everything to me. Here it goes! And you give it all. You give everything. 
you're hilarious. It's exceedingly amusing. Everyone around you is like, did you see that? It's not expected. It is beyond. The cheerful yes, Lord. The please let me do that for you, Lord. Most of us, when it comes to the Christian life, are rather stingy when it comes to our time, our energies, our resources. And we need God to really make it clear that we need to let go of these things and be a, a giver at all, let alone a hilaros giver. You see, this is part of what it means to receive of God and to give it abundantly. When we stop that flow, you will notice that you stop the laughter in your life. When you start holding on and you become Scrooge McDuck and you no longer allow the flow of life to go through you, you receive and give. But if you receive and stop the giving for fear that you will not have enough, you will find that you will stop giving that life and that laughter to others And in so doing, you will lose the laughter in your own life. So what if we took a different approach? We laughed. You see, the Christian laugh is, yes. Yes, Lord. It's our obedience. It's our faith. It's saying God is who he says he is. If he truly is who he says he is, then why would I stop short? Why would I say no? God, yes, is my answer. You know that we say yes, Lord? even before he asks? You see, the yes, Lord, is not when he asks you for something. It's right now. It's like, no, God, I can say yes to you even before you ask. And then someone could say, well, as your counselor, I think you probably would be good to hold back that yes until you know what he's going to ask. Is there anything my God can ask of me that he isn't already deserving of? And since he's already deserving, then I'm going to give the predecided yes, Lord. That's Hilaros giving. You see, you give in response to his givenness to you. What did he give? Did he hold anything back? No. He said, yes, Father. And he gave us everything. And so our advanced statement on it as Christians is, yes, Lord, take my life. What really is Christianity? So here's a nice summary statement. Doing the hilarious with hilaros or doing the exceedingly amusing with cheerfulness. Listen to C.T. Studd, one of my favorite missionaries in history. If God, who sits in the heavens, can laugh, his children on earth should be loyal enough to do exactly as their father does. What's in a name? God's sense of humor, that's what. So in the lineage of the seed, God has promised that there will come one. He's known in the Old Testament as the Messiah. He's the anointed one. And this one will crush the head of our enemy, the serpent. And so throughout history, you see this seed. Abraham then is chosen of God, set apart by God, called to a new land, and he is God's heir, if you will, and that of his descendancy, God will bring about this Messiah. And so his son is the picture of it. His name is Isaac. And that son is very important in the history of, of everything we know as the gospel, Isaac. And yet that name, in and of itself, is an automatopoeia, which means its meaning is the same as its sound. So this is the sound of laughter. I know Hebrew people obviously laugh rather funny. But, Sasak! 
That's like a laugh. That's like us going, ha, ha, ha. They go, Sazak? And then all of us go, Sazak, 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 Sazak. That means to laugh. That's the verb. But he laughs is actually the name of the son of Abraham. It is the heir. It is the one in whom the promise is. It is in this seed that salvation will come. It is in laughter. It is in the simple statement that Jehovah the I Am laughs. He laughs. He will always laugh. He is a God who laughs. Watch what he will do. So the very construct of laughter is woven into the tale of redemption. Isn't that amazing? And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name, Ha Ha! Ha 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 Ha! And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So this is something, I've had this, this next little list for a long time, okay? It's been sitting on my computer, and I've been trying to figure out a way just to sneak it into a sermon. And I have to admit, I am sneaking it in. It really, this message would be fine without it, but it is, it is funny. It is funny. So this, this is not my son. I have a son named Reese. It's spelled without an E. So this is a three-year-old named Reese. I have a four-year-old named Reese. Uh, so it's not the same. Three-year-old named Reese said, Our Father who does art in heaven, Harold is his name. Amen. <laughs> A little boy was overheard praying, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time like I am. <laughs> By the way, I don't want any kids getting any ideas in here. <laughs> After the christening of his baby brother in church, Jason sobbed all the way home in the back seat of the car. His father asked him three times what was wrong. Finally, the boy replied, that preacher said he wanted us to be brought up in a Christian home, and I wanted to stay with you guys. <laughs> a Sunday school teacher asked her children as they were on the way to church service, and why is it necessary to be quiet in church? One bright little girl replied, because people are sleeping. <laughs> Sazak! A mother was preparing pancakes for her sons, Kevin, five, and Ryan, three. The boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Their mother saw the opportunity for a moral lesson. If Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> a father was at the beach with his children when the four-year-old son ran up to him, grabbed his hand, and led him to the shore where a seagull lay dead in the sand. The son asked, Daddy, what happened to him? The dad replied, he died and went to heaven. The boy thought a moment and then said, did God throw him back down? <laughs> this one's, this is good, this is good. A wife invited some people to dinner. At the table, she turned to their six-year-old daughter and said, would you like to say the blessing? The girl replied, I wouldn't know what to say. The wife answered, just say what you hear mommy say. The daughter bowed her head and said, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? <laughs> so sorry for doing that. I know that that really probably didn't change your life in any regard. But it is, it is a fun thing to laugh. A merry heart 
It's, it's interesting because the Bible actually describes a heart full of laughter. And many of the translations will actually describe a merry heart as a laughing heart, as an inner life that laughs. And so as it says in Proverbs 17, a merry heart or a laughing heart or laughter does good like a medicine. In other words, the way that God built us was for health in our spiritual life. But even when our spiritual life is healthy, it actually changes our physical body. Have you ever heard it said that people that laugh are healthier? That's a strange statement. Just like people that forgive are healthier. It's just facts. However, there is a good form of laughter that actually is not meant to just be found uh, by watching some hilarious slapstick comedy, but is actually found in the kingdom of heaven by being in Christ. And that when we allow that laughter in and through our life, and even, I mean, God finds laughter in the strangest times. All kids three years old and under are being killed. This is in the days of Moses. Do you remember him? And his parents are not laughing, probably. And yet God creates a, a, a deliverance device, this little basket that this little baby is put in. You know why Pharaoh was killing in the first place? Is because one of his wise men had a prophecy that said the deliverer of the Israelites is to be born. And so as a result, he began to kill everyone. Meanwhile, that very Pharaoh, his daughter is down bathing in the Nile and sees this little basket come by and she takes him in and adopts him and Pharaoh raises that very deliverer in his home. You see, God in the midst of what appears on the outside to be destitution, darkness, loss, always has the last laugh. So we need to remember who we serve. The Ark of Covenant has been stolen. Oh no, where is it? It's in the temple of Dagon. Oh no! God causes that idol to fall flat. Its hands and feet and its head go rolling off. God says, ha! (laughs) A merry heart does good like a medicine. You'd like to add a little medicine to your life? Start laughing God's way. All the days of the afflicted are evil. Boy, you don't want to be one of those afflicted guys, do you? But he that is of a merry heart has a continual feast. He that is of a laughing heart. He that laughs with a heavenly, holy laughter that allows themselves to be a flow-through channel for the laughter of heaven. The power of God to redeem all circumstances. He who allows himself to be a flow-through channel has a continual feast. Studying the reaction of the Father. So let's just look at Psalm 2. I'm going to read it for you. Now there's a lot more to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is what we can call the messianic chapter, messianic psalm, even though they're almost all messianic. Very specifically, the first psalm is about the righteous, and the second one is about the Messiah, the anointed one. And those two lay the foundation for the entire Psalms to even be interpreted, to be understood. This is what they are about. Because Jesus is that righteous branch, and he is, in fact, the anointed one. In the Greek, that is called the Christos, the Christ. So Psalm 2 is about the Christ. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Uh Uh-oh. Bad things happening on earth. 
the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, against Jesus, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Listen to the response. It says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh and the Lord shall hold them in derision. Now, if you understand Ephesians and you know what God is even saying about the position of this anointed one, you know that he is enthroned at the right hand of majesty on high and all things are under his feet. He is the one who sits in heaven. Now, if you understand the gospel is an invitation into Jesus Christ. So we are in Adam by birth. And as a result, Adam's sin, we inherit it. When he ate and went hunk into that fruit, we, in a sense, were in him. And we participated in the sin, and therefore we share in his condemnation. But by faith, Jesus Christ has made an avenue of escape that when we repent of this old life, and we put it off, and we believe in Jesus Christ, then we share in his work on the cross. And so when he gave up his life and died the perfect death on that tree, we are sharing in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection into newness of life, and get this, and in his seated position in the heavens. That's what it says in Ephesians. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ. What's your position? So, I mean, just follow me on this. He who sits in the heavens, that's talking about Eric Ludi. I know it's talking about the Messiah, but I'm in that Messiah. What is the Messiah doing? Well, he's doing some laughing. I'm going to join in. I mean, it's no fun to have someone laughing next to you and you're all serious. I'd sort of like to join in. And someone could say, but the nations rage, Eric. The people plot a vain thing. Uh, aren't you nervous? Uh, the kings of the earth are setting themselves. The rulers are taking counsel together against the Lord and against the Christ. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. The one I'm in is in control. The one I'm in has all these things under his feet. And so I realize on the outside it looks really bad. But the one I find my life in is laughing. So I think I'm going to do the same. If this is, I, I read this earlier, but this is a good context for it to be repeated. If God who sits in the heavens can laugh, his children on earth should be loyal enough to do exactly as their father does. Now there was a movie... I wanted to say about 15 years ago, I'm not going to mention the name of it. You either know what it was or not, and my point isn't to try and promote a movie. But in this movie, it, the movie has two parts. In the first part, everything is laugh laughing out loud, hilarious, and then the second half is dead serious. And it's about a family that is Jewish that gets taken to a concentration camp. It's a father and his son that are put into a concentration camp, and the father has a decision to make. In the natural realm... According to all natural circumstances, this is a terrible situation. And yet the father chooses to make it a game. And his son endures the privations and the misery and the death of a concentration camp without ever realizing how dark it really is. Because to him, he was looking at his father's face the whole time. And his father was smiling. His father was laughing. Though that father went through such extreme torment and in the end was actually killed in the concentration camp, his little son didn't endure it 
the way everyone else did in, in that concentration camp. He walked through it with a completely different perspective. We all share in the common sufferings of this earth, but we have a father who says, look at me, look at me. Don't look out there. Look at me right now. I will dictate how your soul should be. I want your soul to mirror my countenance. So when I smile, you can smile. When I laugh, you can laugh. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. And he holds all of this opposition to that which we stand for as the church, the cross of Jesus Christ, the great redemption. The world mocks it, but our God holds them in derision. We look at him and we find our salvation in the darkest of circumstances. So I was about, oh, 20 to 22, somewhere in there. I had given my life to Jesus, and this isn't even a promotion of a book. I can't even really tell you what was in the book. I received this book as a gift from my mom. So that's why I had to stick it in. I thought that would be funny since she's here this morning. I had gotten so serious in my Christianity. I came to Jesus. Hey, we live in a dying world, and people are going to hell. There is no reason to laugh. I come from a very happy family. And suddenly, Eric was a big downer. Eric is now a very strong Christian and miserable to be around. I, I couldn't even smile. The, life is too serious. So my, <laughs> my mom gives me this book for Christmas. I open it up and laugh again. She goes, well, honey, I, I just think it'd be real. What, do you, don't, you don't think I, I can laugh? Well, you know, I just think it could be good for maybe you just to browse through it. <laughs> Laugh again. So I, I decided that I'd put it up there just because I understand what it is to come to Jesus even with radical abandon and lose the luster of the song, to stop singing. You see, I only knew earthly humor, really. I mean, that's, that's what I found great delight in. Bodily sounds were hilarious. And then when I came into the kingdom of heaven, I couldn't see that side anymore. I mean, because it was just bad. And so how do I appropriate laughter? How do I have humor anymore? And yet, God wanted to set me free from a bondage to cantankerousness. To actually live with a jubilance of soul. To sing a song so that other people could enter into the song. What is your position? Right. Good job. Listen to this. This is a, Isaiah 61 is literally the chapter in the Bible that Jesus opens up in his hometown of Nazareth and reads and then sits down and declares, this is fulfilled. It is talking about the Lord's anointed, the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. It is talking about Jesus. And Jesus has the audacity to read it out loud and sit down, and everyone looks at him, and he says, uh-huh, guys, that's me. Whoa, what does it say, though? What does Isaiah 61 say? I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. What's your position? You're in the Lord. And so, therefore, it says that Jesus will greatly rejoice in that position. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is the gospel. This is why we rejoice. You see, we've been given that robe, that clothing, that covering. 
We have escaped Adam's judgment, and now we are clothed in the work of Jesus Christ. I will greatly rejoice. I will sing the song of heaven. Therefore, every single one of us is meant to have a face and a countenance that is lifted, that shines, that sparkles. The world should come in here and not see dour. They should see light. We are meant to be the happiest people on earth in the most difficult of circumstances. Ignatius, who was discipled by John the Apostle, was told, he was informed, that he was going to be fed to wild beasts on the following morning. By definition of dark moments, that would be one of them. If you were told that you were going to be fed to wild beasts on the morning, what is your natural instinct? It's to go down. It's to think about what that would feel like. You, I, I wouldn't blame you for going silent. Maybe a little somber. Maybe a little irritable. You know, when the, the guard sticks in some gruel for you and you're like, I'm not hungry. It would all make total sense in this earth. But you are not of this earth. You are seated in a heavenly place in Christ Jesus. Therefore, you have access to a song in the night. You have access to a song in the prison cell. You have access to a song even when wild beasts are growling, hungry, and ready to eat you. One of my favorite pictures, I mentioned this before, but someone in this church gave me the, the film Polycarp, and they said, I think you'd love this, Eric. And there's this one scene in there that I really did like. I mean, it was really good, where uh, Germanicus, this young boy, is stuck before the wild beasts, and he was told by Polycarp to, to uh, I forgot, approach that day manfully, however it was said. So there he is in the arena. He sees the wild beast. You don't actually see it. Uh, and so he actually starts running towards them. He runs towards them. That is not normal any more than it is normal for you to laugh and to sing in the night. For you to laugh and sing in your current situation, you fill in the blank. Because in a room this big, we have a lot of circumstances. And for me to try and nail your exact circumstance isn't my job. It's to give you the tools to handle your exact circumstance. You have everything you need to be singing right now in Jesus Christ. And I recognize, I know what it's like to live in one of these human bodies. I know how hard it can be at times and how heavy the weights can feel. And yet you have everything you need in Jesus Christ to have a song in that night. So here we are talking about Jesus, the anointed one. Job chapter 29. This, remember how it says God loves a hilaros giver? This is what we could call a hilaros giver. This man, for all practical purposes, he has everything you could need. He's a wealthy, wealthy man. His name is Job. And yet, in Job chapter 29, it goes into great description. I know most of you only think of Job as the guy that suffered. Instead of recognizing that Job is the guy that had everything and, got, and gave it away, and God said, have you considered my servant Job? He's a very impressive guy. You see, Job is a picture of Jesus Christ. You know what even his name means? Hated and despised. Job. And he's from Utz. You know what Utz means? The place of wood. Hate and despised the place of wood. Huh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it's a foreshadow of one we know as Jesus Christ. And this is the behavior of the one who was seated in the heavenly realms but gave up his high position 
and was born as a little baby into humble circumstances. He gave hilariously. What he did was so utterly extreme, and yet we want a Christianity that just makes sense. The one that has given us his life gave everything, and yet we want to medi out the little we have and say, well, God, I still need to hold on to what I, you know, I need. Instead of saying, my God gave with Hilaros, well, I want to be like him. When the ear heard, then it blessed me, and when the eye saw that it approved me because I delivered the poor who cried out. Why did the onlooking world stand in awe of Job? It's because he delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper. The blessing of a perishing man came upon him, and he caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. He put on righteousness and it clothed him. Justice was like a robe and a turban. He was eyes to the blind and he was feet to the lame. He, he was a father of the poor and he sought out the case that he did not know and he broke the jaws of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. And I go back to this previous line here. Look at the very last line. And I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Does that sound familiar? He caused the widow who's in a dire situation. The widow has nothing unless someone advocates especially back in these days. That widow would just die of starvation unless someone takes up her cause. Who took it up? Job. Jesus has taken up ours. And what did he do? He caused, he caused the widow's heart to sing the heavenly anthem. How did he do it? He gave hilariously. Hilariously. You see, Job... He could have just stayed in his nice mansion and been fine, but he took his wealth and went out into the countryside and gave it. Why is he intervening in situations like that? That has nothing to do with him any more than Jesus' circumstance had anything to do with ours. We're living in a dark prison cell. He's living in light. Why in the world would he, that which is light and totally other than us, come to this earth and get involved in our affairs? That is the nature of our God. And God loves a hilaros giver. He loves not just someone who says, okay, all right, all right, there's some poor out there, here's $10. But one who says, my entire life, my, all my resources, my entire estate, all the time in my day is available to you, God. You spend it as you see fit. So the Hilaros salesman, this is, I gave this, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And so I came across it when I was doing a study on Hilaros again. And I was like, oh, this is, this is too good to, to not throw in again. So instead of the Hoover salesman, we have the Hilaros salesman. So, you know, someone comes up to your house and they heard, they said, I heard that you were in Christ and that you have uh, the, the whole Hilaros package. But I just want you to know that there's actually uh, more to this, this package that you've received than you realize and that you could actually take advantage of now. So presenting the Hilaros Gold Package, the free upgrade to the Hilaros life of the Christian. See, most of us have the Christian life, I mean, to some measure. And it's not that we don't know what it's like to sing a song in dire circumstances. Maybe some of us have sung a little tune, and yeah, I know what that's like. But we haven't truly ever taken on the Gold Package. It's like, are you saying that's free? I, I just have that? It's included. You see, I'm going around door to door to tell you 
that you haven't if you already have the Hoover vacuum. Oh, the Hilaros, uh, what is it, uh, Hilaros vacuum? I don't know. That's not what we're talking about, but now I'm all confused. You already have the package in Christ. Now you need to understand the full measure of its benefits. So directions, simply plug this package into your existing Hilaros life console and enjoy the rich benefits afforded the lifetime members of the Hilaros family of saints. What's in the gold package, you ask? See, I knew you were going to ask, so I, I already have, as a salesman, I already have a spiel. This bundle contains all you will ever need for the adventure of life. It includes the following. Number one, the Hilaros skip and whistle engine. Unlike other skip and whistle engines that stumble and go dry the moment difficulty arises, this baby stays moist and active even when the guillotine blade is dropping. It's guaranteed to endure through the moments that make grown men cry. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a skip and whistle engine that you could literally have that song even when guillotine blade is coming down on your neck? You got it. It's built into the gold package. If you're in Christ, this is yours. Uh-huh. You see, there's other skip, skip and whistle imitations out there that are pieces of junk, and they'll fail you the moment difficulty arises. Hey, you can have fun over here. And they, they, yeah, I have a skip and whistle machine over here. Just come over here. If you do this, hey, you know, we'll make you happy. They're junk. They're not the real thing. I'm telling you, you have access to the real skip and whistle, Jesus Christ. Number two, the Hilaro Song in the Night audio plug-in. This puppy can be sung literally anywhere. It's specially designed for concentration camps, prison cells, and while bleeding on crosses. Basically, the song is designed to get louder and stronger as the difficulty increases. Makes even the worst singer sound like an angel chorus. Some of you are like, I need that. <laughs> yeah, you got that. Number three, the Hilaros Laugh Out Loud Fountain Pump. This hearty chuckle is one of the most utilized tools in the gold package. It's built to be left on always. You know, I used to be rather concerned about a, a refrigerator because it's always plugged in and it's always on. I don't know if any of you ever have that thought about pumps to it. Like, I have this pump outside my house in my pond, and I'm always sort of concerned. Every time I walk by, it's like, how long does that thing last? I mean, don't you need to turn it off and give it a rest? This pump can be left on always. It's always useful. It'll never go bad. My pump may go bad in my pond. This one never will. This hearty chuckle is one of the most utilized tools in the gold package. It's built to be left on always. In every situation, in and amidst every challenge, you can push the laugh button, and this amazing instrument will actually tickle the belly, stir the inner man, and remind the soul of the victory of the cross. The more you push the laugh button, the more you laugh. Use it to your discretion. Some of you guys aren't pushing it enough. It functions sort of like a geyser. The motor on this laugh-out-loud pump sinks to the bottom of the stomach, right into that empty place created by the tragedy. You know, have you ever noticed when, you're, when you have a tragedy, your stomach just feels empty? That's where the pump goes to. It goes right to that spot, right into that empty place created by the tragedy, the difficulty, or the trial, or from there, and from there shoots pure, unadulterated joy upward into the whole chest cavity and ultimately out through the mouth. Disclaimer, this pure joy usually comes out as laughter, but the consumer should note that this pure joy has been known to emerge from the body in other unique and delightful forms, i.e. dancing, crying, shouting, hugging, high-fiving, and the like. I can't guarantee you how it will come out. I know today we're talking about laughter, but this contraption comes out in various ways. And, I mean, I'm not much of a dancer, but there have been moments 
where uh, even Eric starts dancing. Number four, the Hilaros Leap for Joy trampoline. This springy trampoline-like substance is designed to go wherever your feet may carry you. It literally, I know when you think of a trampoline, you think of a big, huge, round thing. But this is literally always under your feet. It's an incredible invention. It travels as an invisible, ever-ready-to-spring-upward force beneath the feet of the Christian, made of a supernatural substance that is built to bounce back when pressed against. It is made to never lose its spring, even amidst the most bitter cold, the harshest trials, and the hottest fires. It specializes in times of pressure and is uniquely designed to convert downward pressure into upward push. The bigger the weight, the greater the pressure downward, the higher it sends the Christian upward. To maximize the ability of this heavenly trampoline, the Christian must move in agreement with the upward push of the trampoline. You ever been on a trampoline and then someone, uh, like your dad, comes out and then he jumps at the opposite time of you and then you go, boom, you go really high? That's exactly how this works. And so what happens is you have tragedy in life, you have difficulty in life, and if you leverage these trampo this trampoline device, then the heavier the weight, the higher you go. You have this. I know, don't just look at me and go, Eric, how come he got this? You have this in Christ. You want to start leaping, you have access to it. He or she must let her feet go airborne when the upward push comes. Some of you are so dignified that you don't let your feet go. So you have the tragedy, you have the upward push, but you don't agree with the push. And as a result, you never enjoy the air that could be beneath you. If this is done in concert with the upward force of the trampoline, then boing, those beautiful Christian feet will spring upward with vigorous and joy-infused force. The church and the art of tickling. So I recognize when I'm bringing up a message like this, I have violated some unspoken rule of not using the word tickle. However, what I mean by it is the ability to share that which God has given to us, to bring delight to others in and through the sharing of our own delight. You'll notice that if you are capping off and have a damper pedal because of fear and anxiety in your life, because of difficulties, trials, bitterness, resentment, that you do not feel like tickling others. You ever notice that? That you do not feel, Daddy, could you play tickle with us? No. I mean, you're not going to want to play tickle if you don't feel tickly. You see, to be able to be a giver, to cheerfully give of that which is in you, you need to be singing that song. You have to choose in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of difficulty, to sing. And when you do, then you have something precious to give to others. For God so loved the world that he gave. You see, God has something inside of him that he wanted to share with us. To say that what he did was tickle us is a massive diminishment of the cross. What he did was he gave everything to us. What follows in John 3.16 is known by many of us and, and dearly beloved by all of us. In other words, he gave his only begotten son. He gave his best Every single one of you has something. God loves the world around you, too. Still does. And he still wants to give in and through his body to this dying world. So for God so loved the world that he gave in and through us. Just as he gave his only son, he'll give his adopted children as well. And he'll give us hilariously. God loves a hilarious giver because he is one. 
And if he's going to teach us to give of our life, don't you think it's going to be in agreement with the way he gives? God loves a hilaros giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, having, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Tickling and being ticklish. I want you to evaluate on two levels. First of all, the willingness to give. Whether that's resource, because most of us, when we think of giving, we think of money. And that's important. That's a dimension in life that it has to be applied to. However, there's also time. There's energies. There's resources. There's talents. You also have something known as the gospel. And sometimes it's as simple as a smile. Sometimes it's a wave. Sometimes it's a tickle. However, you need to be willing to give of that life. If you desire that life to grow and to be sponsored by the Holy Spirit in you, then you must be outward with it. The moment you start to hold on to it, to say, oh, I'm going to run out if I, if I give it, is the moment you do run out. To actually grow in the abundance of what God has supplied for you, you give what you have. It's the secret of the kingdom. There's a second part in this that is a little harder, and that is being ticklish, being ready to be encouraged and exhorted. This morning, I need to tell you guys to be ticklish. And, of course, I want you to go out of this message after being tickled and go and tickle others. You see, there is a need for all of us in here to allow God to sponsor joy within us, to start and to get that heavenly song going in us. Some of you are living in a cloud bank. And the weights of life just seem so heavy. And you want to laugh, but you don't know how. And the first thing you're doing is you're looking in your own pocket saying, God, I don't feel laughter. That's not how you laugh in the kingdom of heaven. You laugh in the kingdom of heaven by agreeing with God and saying, God, I'm going this direction. I know the enemy wants to push me this direction. I'm going this direction. And when you do, God floods into you. It's called joy. Joy doesn't come... The Feelings of joy do not come by you trying to drum them up. Power of positive thinking. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. That's not how it works. It's called faith. What has God promised? Can he lie? No. Then he will prove faithful. I'm jumping, guys. You jump because God has promised. God is faithful. Laughter in the kingdom of heaven is an extension of our faith and utter confidence that God is exactly who he says he is. He cannot fail. He will, in fact, do it. Has he not promised and will he not fulfill his promises? Hey, guys, we have no other choice here. If we're believers, we're leaping. We're laughing. We're the happiest people on earth. We have to be. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Looney, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.